Good evening. Welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight, and our topic is the Gate of Heaven, Part 5. What we're going to be talking about tonight is living by the Word. In Part 3, we talked about how important it is that we have the concept that living is important. Tonight, we're talking about the fact that actually living by it is also important to connect with heaven. It's all. It's not merely a function of our knowing about the Bible or thinking about it and so on. It's about our practice, and we'll read some passages about that. So if you'd like to join us on that journey, please do, good friends, and let's open with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world. You are the one God of heaven and earth. Please help us as we open the pages of your word, Lord, because we seek to know your heart and your mind. Amen. Amen. Sending love out to all of you who are out there in uh, internet land and uh, getting the audio and so on. The Gate of Heaven, Part 5. So we've been talking in this series about how the word can connect heaven and earth. One of the goals of my life is to, it sounds ridiculous, but one of the goals that I was given at a young age was to try to connect heaven and earth closer together. And I realized that one of the ways of doing that is for people to know, understand, practice, and love what's in the Bible and Swedenborg's teachings so that this world can more readily connect with heaven. So this series fits in very much with my kind of core purpose. And, um, and this seems like such an important point uh, that it's about how we live. There's no way for a book, for the Bible to do our practice for us. It can do everything possible to try to say, please do this and to try to say in every conceivable way, um, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't, it's not going to be good. Uh, but there's no way it can kind of reach out and make us uh, do it. So this is a very important part of how the Bible can help us connect with heaven. So in that interest, I wanted to read some passages as we, as we do tonight. And uh, let's start in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Uh, I, I guess I'll actually start uh, first. I was going to do this in a different order, but um, I wanted to give you just some statistics. Um, there are, um, uh, in my King James Concordance, Young's Concordance of the King James Bible that I use a lot of time, got one at home, got one in the office, um, it has 112 entries per column, a tiny print, and uh, three columns on each page. Just the word do is 15 columns like that. Doing is three quarters of a column. Done is one and a half. Deed is half a column. Perform is another column. Work is seven and three quarter uh, columns. Act and action is three quarters of a column. Make is 13 columns. Uh, all told, I add them up to be just the word do, doing, done, deed is like a 2,000 occurrences, and there's another 2,500 of 
perform and act and work and so on. Those aren't even the words for what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> That's just the simple word do, you know. So the Bible is, my large print Bible that I have here is 1,356 pages long. So in 1,356 pages, to have over 4,500 occurrences of do, 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 it seems like Scripture is trying to say, I would like you to do what I'm talking about here. And so what we've picked tonight is extremely small sample of that mass, you know, we would be here a long time. And those would just be the do passages, uh, not all the other kinds of active verbs that are in there and commands and so on. Let's look at Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, the fifth book of Moses, at the beginning of the Bible there. And Deuteronomy 28 is where I wanted to start. It's, uh, we'll just, it would be glorious, and we have done this before in Bible study, to read this entire chapter. Uh, we'll just read two verses in it, and you'll see where this is going. Look at 28, verse 1. Can I just say, Luke, there's there are three empty chairs, ah. and there's some more people coming in. So. If you so desire. And there are other chairs in the back, too, back in the hall through that door. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, beginning of Deuteronomy 28. <clears throat> Now, I don't know what to think about the fact that the reader is actually practicing charity during the class <laughs> when she's supposed to be reading. I don't understand what's going on. But yes, there are some more chairs. There are two chairs up here in the uncomfortable seats uh, right up front. Thanks, friends. Good to see you all. Do come in. 28 verse 1 in Deuteronomy. Okay. Now it shall come to pass. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. Yes, and this is the beginning of a whole series of blessings that go down to verse 14 of all the tremendous blessings that will happen if people do what they've been told to do. And then verse 15, what do you have there? But it shall come ah, to pass. Ah, what word was that at the beginning there? But. But, okay, so you have, okay, if you do this stuff, good things will happen. But, go on. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And strangely, good friends, the number of verses devoted to the curses are more than the ones for the blessings. It starts in verse 15 and it goes all the way over the page and on down to verse 68. You get 14 verses of blessings and then you get like 54 verses of curses if you don't do it. Uh, so it's very important uh, that we do it. This is the kind of teaching. And again, you know, how far can scripture uh, do it. it can't sort of move our arms and get us to get us to do it. It just has to plead with us. Look, you'll get all this great stuff if you do it, and bad things will happen if you don't. Look also at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Beautiful stuff that is just uh, so basic. I'm sure you're familiar with these passages, good friends. Let's start at 30 verse 11 there. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, mm. 
nor is it far off. Hmm. <clears throat> it is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Hear it and what? Do it. Oh, yeah, we'll hear it and do it. Yeah, so, so how can we possibly do this? It's, too, it's up in heaven. We don't know what it is. But so, no, it's not. Often you could be mistaken for thinking that there's something mysterious about scripture, you know, but it's <laughs> claiming here, it's not too mysterious for you. Go on. Nor is it beyond the, the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Oh, and do it. We want to not only hear it, we also want to do it. Go on. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. Look at that. This is not distant. So powerful. Um, yeah, this is not remote. This is, some, this, is, this is in you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You can just do it. You know, things that are in your, in your mouth, in your heart, you can just do. And that's where this is. This commandment is not remote. And then look at this beautiful teaching starting in 15 there. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. Mm, you see, it's the doing is so important. Not only not hearing, but you go serve some other, you know, thing instead of this. This is what will happen. Um, I oh, yes, that's it. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Yes, thank you. So I think that's also extremely powerful teaching. Uh, and that's as far as scripture can take it, to command you stuff, to recommend, I, I not only command you things, I recommend that you do what I'm commanding you to because that will be good. It'll be bad if you don't do it. So please, and it's not remote, it's right in you. you. You are capable of doing this. It's so fascinating to me that such a huge body of teaching has arisen in Christianity that says you don't have to do it. Isn't that kind of amazing that, that you don't have to follow it? Just have faith. It doesn't really matter. Jesus died for that. We're okay. And uh, it's just astonishing. So maybe you say, oh, well, that's just in the Old Testament. That's why we're reading that. Let's go to Jeremiah. So if you go to about the middle of your Bible, head to the right, you'll get to Isaiah and then Jeremiah. And we go to 3131. I always like those kind of numbers. You know, Jeremiah 3131. The Lord made it easy to remember where it is. This is where the Lord talks about a new covenant that will happen. Oh, say, oh, okay. So that maybe that covenant isn't still in effect and there's going to be a new covenant. Tell me about this new covenant. This is Jeremiah's prophecy about the future. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Now, I think that is right where the problem is. There was nothing wrong with the covenant. It was just that it was broken by the other party. The whole idea, and I don't know how this escapes people, but the idea of a covenant is that there are two parties and both parties have to do what they said they're going to, you know, there is no covenant if there's nothing that the other party has to do. That isn't a covenant. Uh, so uh, go on, let's read 33. That's so beautiful. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's right, and it goes on being beautiful after that, but that's all we read of that. So that's in the Old Testament talking about, so the only reason for a new covenant is that the first one was broken by one party. It's really the same covenant over again. Uh, the Lord is just going to make it even deeper and write it inwardly. Uh, let's go to the New Testament, although there's so much in the Old Testament, but it's not considered a challenge to try to show that the Old Testament is teaching us we should live certain ways. The New Testament, that's going to be more of a challenge. So let's go to Matthew chapter 21 mm -hmm. and the New Testament. <laughs> and uh, this is a story that I love very much. Just verses 28 to 32. Mm. Matthew 21, 21, 28, 28 yes. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. You've got to admire the straightforwardness of the young man. <laughs> I will not. But, <laughs> but then what did he do? But afterward he regretted it and went. In the old King James, he actually repented, yes. Uh, he repented and went. Go on. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. <laughs> I just love this little story. It's so straightforward. <laughs> right? it, and then the Lord asked the crucial question. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Luckily, they passed the test. They figured out which one actually did. The important thing was who did the will of the father was the one who said, uh, I'm not going, you know, I'm not going, <laughs> but then went. Or is it the one who said, I go, sir, which I just like the spirit of that. <laughs> I go, sir, and then not show up. So which of those two uh, did it? And so uh, they said the first, and what did Jesus say? Jesus said to them, mm. Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Mm. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. And again, it says repent there in the old King James. They repented not afterwards that you might believe him. And um, so an awful lot of what the New Testament is talking about is people who know stuff, you know, who read scripture, who think about it, who preach to others and don't practice it. And this story is just the most succinct that I can think of where it just sort of says, well, which is better? to say, I, you know, I'm not going, 
now who was the one who doesn't go? That's tax collectors and harlots, right? Who say, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not interested. Your religion, you think that's not for me. I'm not going. But then the Lord comes and they repent. And they turn it around and they say, no, I am going. I, I want in. And they go. And then another group says, I go, sir. And they don't. That's the hypocrisy of, no, I'm all about the religion, but you're actually not practicing the thing that it says. And so the Lord's saying, which do you think, you know, God would prefer <laughs> of those two scenarios? And they correctly say the first. Um, so this is a teaching of the New Testament. Let's look at Luke chapter 10. So go through Mark to Luke. And uh, this is a very, very famous, very beautiful story. And um, let's start at verse 25 there. We might have to skip through some of this, but go ahead. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Ah, there's the question. What shall I do? And I like Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Yes. So what is written and then how do you understand what is written there? What's your reading of it? And so he answers. And said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And listen to Jesus' answer. I love this. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. There it is. So great. You know that. Put that in. I don't know how else to get you to do it. Put it into practice and then you will live. Just knowing because knowing that will not be enough. And so then he raises this question. Well, who is my neighbor? And then the the uh, what I hope is a famous story to you about the Good Samaritan comes along. And the thing I wanted to point out in this story is that the first person who comes down, there's someone who's uh, beaten and injured, and the first person who comes by in verse 31 is a priest, and the second one in verse 32 is a Levite. Uh, the Levites were also sort of functionaries within the religious system, and they walk right by. They pass by on the other side. And then a Samaritan in verse 33, who is a detested person, considered to be a profane a person who kind of had a pseudo mixture of some half babble, half Judaism that they just hated. They despised them. They wouldn't eat with them. The Samaritan comes by and is nice. So the Lord is kind of stacking the deck in this story. And um, he has compassion on him and treats him wonderfully. And then Jesus says in verse 36, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? See, he just keeps asking that question. <laughs> which one do you think was doing it right? Walk on by, know a whole lot of stuff, walk by, know quite a lot of stuff, walk by, or be absolutely in a profane version of the religion and do the right thing. You know, who, who, who are we looking for here? And then, so go on. And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Yeah, the person who took the right action. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Do likewise. All about the doing. All about the doing. Mm. All right, that's a great story, is it not? And uh, look at Luke chapter 12, just over the page a little bit there. 
Another just, these are just little examples. There are so many in scripture, scripture is absolutely full of this kind of teaching. Let's look at uh, verses 42 to 46 there. And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Yeah, he's just been talking about a story where the master goes away for a period of time and then comes back. There are so many of these kind of stories. And so what do you need to be doing to please the master when the master comes back? What sort of behavior should you have? Go on. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Yes, so doing. Yes, right. The, the, the servant is doing the right thing. Go on. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Well, what would be a bad kind of doing, would you say? But Next if verse. that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Yes, that's right. And uh, the next verse talks about the fact that that servant knew his master's will, uh, but did not prepare and didn't do according to his will. So his will was that simply that you treat people well, and the, the one who's doing that, uh, when the Lord comes, that's great. But the opposite of that is to beat other people and drink and be drunken. Uh, those are the two things. So it depends on, on how we live, right? Pretty, pretty clear teaching. Uh, let's look at John chapter 3. These are just some old favorites. But uh, we looked at this not too long ago. This is the very John 3 that talks about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he talks about what believing in him means, that if you believe in him, you're not condemned in verse 18, but if you don't believe, you're condemned already. And then verse 19 says what? And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Yes, the deeds were evil. Go on. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Mm. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Yes, so this is a necessary extension of John 3.16, that this is what belief entails. If you don't, if your deeds are evil, you will not come to the light. You won't actually have that true belief that you need to save you. You've got to be doing right first. So deeds are so important, would you not say, good friends? And uh, let's look at John 13. Another great little phrase. I love the, the Lord seems good with words, doesn't he? Uh, 13 verse 17 is nice and brief. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Yeah, I just like that. He doesn't really say what happens if you know them, re really. He just says, if you know these things, then also do them and you'll be blessed. You know, the, uh, uh, just knowing them 
the blessing comes, or in the Old King James, happy are ye if you do them. If you know these things, you're happy if you do them. I like, I like the way that the Lord puts that there. Okay, now, okay, so you've got the Old Testament, you've got the four Gospels. Uh, these are all teaching that we need to do things, but surely Paul is saying a different message that after Jesus was resurrected, we're saved by grace, we don't have to do it anymore, right? Is that what he's saying? Let's look at Romans chapter 2. So if you go through Acts, Romans is the first thing you encounter there. We'll go to Romans chapter 2. Let's just look at verse 13, jumping in mid-sentence as usual. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Oh, hmm. Again, same refrain. Hearing it is not enough. Doesn't do it. You've got to actually practice it. Uh, this, is, this is just so important. Scripture emphasizes this so much. Okay, turn to the right and go through Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, uh, and go to Galatians, which comes up next there. Chapter 6. This is another epistle of Paul, and look at 6, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good, mm. for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Yes, and this introduces an important additional element, which is the need to persevere. It's not just talking about do it once or do it for a week or something like that. Let's not be weary of this. Let's keep doing it because some of those good things, the blessings will come if we keep at it. We've got to keep at it. Verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the, of the household of faith. Yeah. And again, an interesting emphasis, good, do good to all, but especially those who are in the household of faith. So as we have opportunity, let, you know, this is Paul again. Paul to the Galatians, Paul to the Romans, just saying, hey, we got to keep doing it. Uh, go to the right and go through Philippians and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Let's go to 1st Timothy chapter 4. This is again Paul. This time he's writing to Timothy as an individual. The other ones are two churches. And uh, look at verse 16 there in 1st Timothy 4. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Yes, Timothy was a preacher, and so he's telling them, you've got to practice this stuff. Uh, take heed to yourself and to the, to the doctrine, the teaching. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will both save yourself and the people who are hearing you. The doing is so vital. Uh, even even preachers have to sometime break down and practice these things. It'll, it'll make you more effective. And finally, let's turn through Hebrews uh, to the right. Keep going to the right and get to James. James comes up right at the end of Hebrews there. James chapter 1. There's, we could read the whole epistle of James with no problem on this subject. But let's go to 1. Uh, verse 21, which is a favorite of mine. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now see, there's a nice little formula for how this works, that you have to 
the, the word can tell you, look, this is evil, that's good, do this, don't do that. But unless we practice it, we're not receiving the word which is able to save our souls, but we're not getting that salvation until we actually do it. So the teaching that says that it's not only not necessary to do good works, but it actually gets in the way because your own merit blocks it is very bad teaching, actually. It's super important to practice these things, and this is what... Paul said, this is what the New Testament says, this is what the Old Testament said, and here the Apostle James is saying it as well. And look at verse uh, 25 below oh, there. We're not even going to read 22. Well, go ahead, go ahead. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. I did actually want to read that. Deceiving yourself. Also, 21 is the one that says in the Old King James, superfluity of naughtiness. Thank you for pointing that out, <laughs> dear reader. I'm glad you have annotated that in your margin. <laughs> that is what we're trying to avoid, good friends. <laughs> the superfluity. Go on, verse 23. Okay. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It's so consistent. It's just so consistent from one end of scripture to the other uh, that you've got to be doers of the word. Paul is saying it. James is saying it. And I love this analogy that if you just hear the word and you don't practice it, the word is like a mirror and you're like someone who looks in the mirror and you learn absolutely nothing. You forget what sort of person you saw in there and you just go on with your life. The word is supposed to be holding up a mirror to say, hmm, you might want to look at this or take care of that problem or something. And so if you look to that law of liberty and continue in it, there it is again, right? Uh, then you're not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of this work. Then you'll be blessed. Same thing the Old Testament is saying. You'll be blessed. And let's look at James uh, chapter 2. Uh, let's just read 14 to 17. There's so much in here that we could read. Mm -hmm. But What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? This is a really crucial question that has plagued Christianity. Can faith save him? Can, and if you're not practicing it, can faith by itself save you? And then listen to James's analogy here, which I just love. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food. Okay, naked and, one, and starving, okay. And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. <laughs> but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? <laughs> Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But yes. Is that it? Yeah. Uh, um, so, and it, and it goes on from there. It's just awesome. But, um, and let's read verse 26 at the end of the chapter there. It's so good. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Surely this is the message of the whole Bible. Faith without works is dead. It's dead. Faith cannot save you by itself. And this analogy is now, don't you think this text, like how much can a text do to change your heart and mind 
isn't this like turned up to 11 here, these analogies, <laughs> that it's just saying, listen, you know, if you have someone who's naked, they're freezing, they're starving, and you go to them and you say, be warmed and filled, you know, <laughs> and you don't do a thing for them, you don't address their problem, how much effect does that have? Uh, it, it's such a great analogy. It, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Because it says if, you know, people do say that to other people. They say, well, just have faith, just have faith. And they don't give you a remedy for your problems, you know, when there may be the change that you need to make in your life. Uh, just saying, just have faith doesn't do it. So just say, depart in peace. <laughs> hey, you should feel good right now. <laughs> just say some affirmations or something. You'll be all right. And uh, doesn't give them the things which are needful for the body. What, what, what do you gain from that? Yeah, it's so important to have these works. And finally, let's uh, read Revelation 22 at the very end, just so we can cover a lot of the Bible here. We read this the other week, 22:14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. Yes, and what about verse 15? But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Yes, practices, practices a lie, yes. So uh, blessed are those who do the commandment. Same message, one end to the other. We're blessed if we do the commandments. Uh, so these passages are really, really important. Now, uh, I want to break with a long-standing tradition in this Bible study. I have, we have generally, one of our mottos has been the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. And uh, I have uh, not, there's some fancy old English word for it, I can't think of what it is. Uh, I have decided not to uh, read Swedenborg to you. He wrote rather a lot as some of you may be aware. And if we got started, there'd be no end of it. And I really felt like the Bible's what's needed and looking at that in the light of Swedenborg. But once there was one Bible study where I read a passage from Swedenborg, I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna read you something from Swedenborg. Now don't get excited because it probably won't ever happen again, except that I am planning to do it later on this evening, but with one other passage. <laughs> But this is a great passage, True Christianity 457, that kind of explains why this is so important that we do, that we practice these things and how we treat our neighbor. So interesting that that example was someone else, you know, it's not about, oh, what's your relationship to God and are you, you know, uh, whatever, and what's your thought about heaven or are you being a good person? You know, it was just like, are you treating somebody else who needs something? Swedenborg says, God loves every one of us, but cannot directly benefit us. Wow, I thought he had all power. He can't directly benefit us. God loves every one of us, but cannot directly benefit us. He can benefit us only indirectly through each other. This is the only way God can reach us. So, is this important? Does Scripture care about how it, wow, this is the only avenue God has 
for our well-being is other people who are willing to follow this and give us the clothing and the food that we need and so on, you know? This is really, really important. So it says, for this reason, he inspires us with his love, just as he inspires parents with love for their children. If we receive this love, we become connected to God and we love our neighbor out of love for God. Then we have love for God inside our love for our neighbor. Our love for God makes us willing and able to love our neighbor. So it's all about the connection between love of God and love of the neighbor. And that particular point I want you to take away is that God is actually unable, you know, you might think, oh, well, God will help that person, you know. He can't, you know, unless we're doing it. He can't do it. He, he can't do it directly. He can't directly benefit us. He can only benefit us indirectly through each other. Very powerful teaching. So that kind of gives some oomph to me of like why that sort of explains why scripture would be so many times saying, please, please, please practice this. I'm not just saying this is good for your salvation. I care immensely about that. But all the people you will benefit, you know, I'm caring about that interaction too. So please, please, please do this. Okay, now there's just a little problem, which is like, well, what are you supposed to do? Um, uh, like, okay, Jesus was an itinerant homeless uh, preacher. Should we be itinerant homeless preachers? Or uh, what are we supposed to do, you know? Uh, Saul was commanded to kill all the Amalekites and all their sheep and everything. Are we supposed to find Amalekites and kill them and kill all their sheep? Or so, you know, it's a little tricky. What are we supposed to be doing here? You know, uh, the, 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 the doing is a little tricky. So I got some advice for you. Uh, piece of advice number one, repent. I know you've never heard me say that before, but... Um, uh, repentance is a very important passage, part of it. And you remember, what did, what did James say? He said it so nicely, lay, up, lay aside all something and superfluity of naughtiness and everything, you know, the, all wickedness. And uh, we need to stop doing evil. The Ten Commandments are mostly negative, aren't they? Don't steal, don't kill, don't, you know, don't do all these things. We need to stop doing those things. So scripture helps us identify what's evil and, and gives us lots of examples of good people and bad people and seeing, okay, this is what we should be doing. It also applies to our words, not saying bad things, tearing people down. The epistles have some great passages about our, our tongue and what, you know, how much damage you can do with what you say and so on. And we're encouraged instead to bless people. So there's a whole external piece about how we love others. And the primary way that we love others is by stopping harming them as much as we can persuade ourselves to do so. Uh, that's, that's a main thing that we do, and the Lord can flow through there and help us uh, be good to others, inspire us with love as we were just reading about there. Uh, then there's sort of the internal peace that I think is very important to that, which is, um, and this goes with, repentance has both an internal peace, doesn't it? of self-examination and so forth. And then there's a live a different life, you know, clean up your act kind of piece to it. And that internal piece would have to do with prayer. Uh, doesn't scripture talk about self-examination? There's some passages about self-examination. There's passages about confession, about worship, praise, reading, reflection, meditation. Uh, 
So there are some things that we do internally in terms of our relationship to God, and there's things we do externally in our relationship to other people. And working on both of those fronts is very important. We don't want to end up like the Pharisees who are clean on the outside but are filthy on the inside. You know, like you want to get rid of the stuff on the inside so that you're clean all the way through. And I hope that I've done some other Bible studies on the topic of what we're supposed to do, but I thought I should at least sort of take a nod to that. I think those are the most important things, the n not doing evil, not speaking lies and so forth, and uh, trying to work on that, and then also working on our inner work to uh, do that self-examination and establish that relationship with the Lord. Okay, um, now, uh, humans being what we are, I imagine, I feel sorry for you if this is the case, but I imagine you're like me, that if you think, okay, I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to expect huge results tomorrow. And we read, may, today would be preferable, but tomorrow at the latest. You know, it should be quicker than Amazon Prime. You know, like, like you know, I want immediate results. Well, um, Scripture warns us, and we read some of that, didn't it? It said, like continuance in well-doing and that, that kind of stuff, like keep doing good. And there's a lot of passages that speak about this keep on going. There are two that I want to read to you. Uh, let's go back to Exodus chapter 23, all the way in the left of your Bible there, second book in. 23 verse 30. Now this doesn't sound like it's on topic, but it's all about the Lord's approach. He's taking the children of Israel to the Holy Land, but he says the Holy Land is full of enemies. And he explicitly says, I'm not going to get rid of them all at once. I'm just warning you. I'm not going to get rid of them all at once. Look at this. Uh, look at verses 29 and 30 there. It just mentioned all these enemies, the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Mm, not even, like a year's a long time. Couldn't you do it in a year? No, not even in one year, okay. Lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Mm, let's hit pause there for a second and just say, you remember that story where the Lord says it's bad if you kick the evil spirit out of somebody and then the house is empty and then he goes and finds seven other spirits that are worse than he is and they all move back in. That's what we're trying to avoid, uh, the seven, eight devil scenario. Uh, let's not move too quickly in this thing. You know, I'm not going to drive them all out in one year because that would be bad. And then what does it say in verse 30? Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And this is about the spiritual process that we're going through. The Lord is going to do this little by little, little by little. One other passage I wanted to read to you about this. If you go through the five books of Moses, get to Deuteronomy and then Joshua Judges. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, because I truly believe that in the inner meaning, this is about the same topic. Uh, and in this passage, I would argue there are two figures in it. One is King Saul, who kind of lost his mind and went crazy and tried to kill David. And there's King David who succeeded him, who was the anointed of the Lord. And I would argue that Saul represents our ego, our lower self type of thing. And David represents something of the Lord in us. Look at this verse. 
Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Mm, may it be so for all of us. So this is not going to be an easy, quick, you're not going to get the ego just conquered overnight. Whoa, great. Oh, that's wonderful. I no longer have any ego issues. That's great. That was quick. Uh, that's not going to happen real quick. Uh, but there's going to be a long battle. And over time, the Lord is just going to win a little more, a little more, a little more, and just gradually drive the enemy out of the land. This is so important because I was reflecting before Bible study on how much Hell, you know, hell has a certain patience, but that's not the way they like to roll. The hell likes the quick fix. I was thinking, you know, strange thoughts go through my head. You, you would have no idea, would you, friends? But um, uh, they, I was thinking about how much hell loves explosions. Like an explosion is the perfect thing for hell, a bomb. Bang! You know, one second there's a building there and all these people and all the like. Bang! In one second, it's destroyed. Hell just loves that. You know, that is the right way to do it. Just quick destruction. They love the plummet. Someone just like plummeting down. You know, they can do the patient thing if they have to. Okay, all right, we'll play the long game. You know, but what they want is the blow the thing up, throw them down quick. And they think so much about the quick thing and they get it. They have a huge department. It's much larger than the Pentagon that's working all the time on getting us to think about quick fixes. You know, even if we're moving in a spiritual direction, they say, well, you know, you should, aren't you already, aren't, aren't you there already? Uh, aren't you already amazing? Or something, you know, and they harass us and they, they make us feel like we're getting nowhere. You know, I've been working on this problem for 40 years. I'm getting nowhere, you know. Uh, they, they want to inspire that feeling of like, man, this is so discouraging. Like I've been working on this and working on this and I don't seem to see much progress. And this other area is going okay, but it's sort of slow and incremental, you know. The Lord, isn't he, don't, do you experience in the same way, friends? He is all about the incremental, sneaky growth. I think he just loves that sneaky little, oh, huh. I open my mouth and whereas I usually say something horrible right now, uh, actually something not so bad came out, you know. That was surprising. <laughs> and the Lord loves that little quiet. You don't know what's happening. Nobody sounds a trumpet. But you just turn a little corner where you handled something a little better than you did the last time. And this gradual growth. The Lord has the eternal view and he's thinking about, okay, we're just, this is fun. We're, gonna, we're just step by step by step. You think about that wandering in the wilderness. Wow. Sometimes it must have felt like, okay, we're making progress. Sometimes it must have felt like, wow, didn't we already cross this river? <laughs> or are we all in a pit here? Or are we totally lost? And uh, so the journey has a lot of different pieces to it and can feel quite discouraging. So I wanted to add to this idea about doing that be patient and, you know, continue in that doing because uh, it's not a quick situation, not a quick fix situation. Don't let that hell department convince you that you're going nowhere or backwards or something. Uh, just hang in there. Keep, keep pecking away at it with that incremental thing. 
because that's the way the Lord likes to, to do things, to do that quickly. There was long war, uh, but David just got stronger and stronger. Saul got weaker and weaker. And little by little, the Lord's going to, it's not all going to be in all one year. Little by little, though, hang in there. You will see these things recede, you know. And when the Lord takes care of something, it's really taken care of. Like, it, when we take care of stuff, whoop, whack-a-mole, pops right back up, right? <laughs> but when the Lord takes care of stuff, He takes His time. But when it's gone, it's actually gone. Like, it doesn't trouble you. You know, it's really dealt with and, and gone. And so that's what the Lord is going for. And uh, so that gradually thing is so important. And I want to read something that was something very beautiful that I just read from Swedenborg's works. I want to read another passage that I find quite uh, devastating. thought I'd like to share that experience with you. Uh, uh, it came to mind in connection with this, um, with this uh, topic. And Swedenborg talks in here about how important it is. And we saw that. We glimpsed it here and there, these passages. It's so important that we examine, if we're doing this self-examination, we examine not only what we're doing and what we're saying. That's entry level and that's fantastic. We need to do a lot of that. But we also need, if possible, to look at what is in our will. And Swedenborg says the way to catch this is to look at what you would do if you could get away with it. Do a little thought experiment about what you, because Swedenborg says that there are spirits who try to put like really insane thoughts, intentions inside us. That man, if I could get away with it, I would do that crazy, you know. And we don't realize this stuff is, we may be living very normal, lovely lives on the outside and not realizing there's insane stuff, you know, in our intentions. And what the Lord really wants to do is kick those enemies out, you know, not just the external ones, but the stuff on the inside. Um, and so uh, Swedenborg says this. He's been talking about two different types of repentance and whether there are people who can do this really deep dive. There was an investigation in the spiritual world. This is True Christianity number 535. To see which people were capable of doing this second type of repentance. It was discovered that there are as few of such people as there are doves in a vast desert. Some people indicated that they were indeed capable of this second type of repentance, but they were incapable of examining themselves and confessing their sins before God. Nevertheless, all people who do good actions as a religious practice avoid actual evils. It is extremely rare, though, that people reflect on the inner realms that belong to their will. Mm. This is the graduate program, you know, to really look at your will, to do the thought experiment. It's scary, I understand. Swedenborg says in one passage of this, is scary as if, you know, as soon as you even contemplate doing it, he says it's like there's a, a ditch and then you have to run up a hill and there's a castle and there's a soldier there with a gun saying, stop, go no further. You know, that's the way you feel when you think about, oh, better not go there. You know, it'll be dangerous. But actually, that's exactly where we need to go. And Swedenborg uh, says, uh, how can our goodness become truly good without being inwardly purified? 
And after he said all this great riff, then he says this kind of heartbreaking sentence about his readers, about people who read this and how they will respond. He says, I know that all devout people and also all people of sound reason who read this will nod and see it as genuine truth. That is the truth. That is so truth. Yet even so, only a few are going to do what it says. Heartbreaking. So once again, Swedenborg's in this position that the Bible was in of like put out all this great advice. And I'm so amazed by that passage. We're just like you got these people, you got people of sound reason, you got the devout people, they're reading along and they're going, yes, that is right on them. You know that? That is right on the money right there. And he calls them out. He just says, I know that people are going to nod and see it as genuine truth. Yet even so, only a few are going to do what it says. So, if you're interested in a challenge, good friends, this would be the turbo program. You know, this would be the, the, the I know, don't mean that it's fast, this would be like graduate level, you know? <laughs> to, to really look inwardly and examine ourselves and practice it even at that level, you know? Really getting into the will and trying to clean up the source of all this doing and saying that's on the outside. Now, my hope is, and I'm sure his hope was too, and partly even by writing that sentence, to challenge people to say, come on, we can do better than a few, can't we? You know, uh, it, it's, not, it's not so hard. What did Deuteronomy say? This word is not far from you. It's not up in heaven you have to go. It's right in your mouth and in your heart. You, we can do this. We can do this. The Lord will help us. He'll give us tremendous help. The angels love it when we do this. Which is the one that really pleases him? Someone who's lived a terrible life and then says, oh, I do want to go into the vineyard. Or someone who knows their teachings and their Bible back to front and, but isn't practicing it. The angels love the people who've lived terrible lives and decide to make a change. And they know it's, that's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to turn it around overnight. Uh, but they love that. Oh, you're going to have that incremental growth. You're moving in the right direction. That's so great. You know, you're, you're doing it. You're doing it. Heaven is longing to find people down here who are willing to even go to that level uh, or who are willing at all to just practice what they read in Scripture. So it's one thing to know it, think it, and so on. But practicing it, is so important. And uh, so no matter how well we know the Bible, in conclusion, if we're not trying to practice what it says, and I say trying because it's not even necessary to like hit it out of the park or be amazing. You know, there are no awards for amazing repentance, you know. Um, uh, just, uh, just trying to practice it. If we're not trying to practice what it says, no matter how well we know it, we're missing a lot of what heaven wants to give us through it. Heaven wants to connect with us through our reading of Scripture. And uh, there's no way for the Bible to make us do it. It, it just can't. 
put strings on our arms and our legs and our lips and get us to say the thing and do the thing, you know. Uh, uh, we have to practice it ourselves. And there's such joy. It's, it's a battle. It is, it is long warfare. But there's such joy in seeing the Lord little by little, seeing David beat Saul, just, just a little more, a little more, you know, just gradually winning that long, long war and little by little kicking those enemies out. We are not required to finish this process while we're in this world. We are only invited to start. You know, if we can start, that's what they're looking for. It's like something I heard about exercise. You may have heard me talk about before that really amazed me. I thought that's of God. In exercise, there's various benefits people know about exercise and it's good and oh, you do this much and you do that, it's even better and more repetition or longer period of time, more cardio, whatever it is. But what they found in studies, the scientists have found that, that the biggest, the most huge impact on uh, your health is going from total couch potato to do anything whatever. That's the biggest <laughs> difference. Going from there to a decathlete, you know, Olympic, whatever, <laughs> is not as big a change as couch potato to anything. And I think that's of the Lord. That's the way he does the repentance too. If we move off the dime at all, you know, if we practice anything, no matter how, we may not do it right. And it's not about perfection. It's not about doing it all right. But just following the Lord, practice, deploy that thing a little bit in your life. Uh, that's where the biggest gain comes. The Lord loves that, you know, just get off our spiritual couch. You know, that's what the Lord is looking for. So in order to connect this world with heaven, which is really what needs to happen for the whole culture and for everything, for the whole universe, uh, let's practice what we read in Scripture. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for your presence among us. We pray for your help as we put these things into practice in our lives. Help us, Lord, in those moments of discouragement when we feel like we're going round and round in circles or we're going nowhere whatsoever. It can sometimes be a discouraging journey. Encourage us, Lord, lead us forward by your example and by your living presence with us as we do this work. Send angels to help us in our walk, in the things that we say, knowing that you are seeking to bless others through us from your never-ending love. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. It will get better. <laughs>